Man, how many are ready to get in the Word this morning? Are we ready to get in the Word this morning? Really? I mean, we are uh, into some interesting stuff. Really interesting stuff. We're continuing in our study in Galatians. Uh, last week, we were blessed to hear the testimonies of four people in the church. If you were here, you remember Bryce shared, Steve shared, Jenny shared, and Braxton shared about what their journey looked like, what it was like for them to encounter Jesus Christ. How many, like, I really got a kick. I, I loved hearing those testimonies because it's important that we share how we came to Jesus with those around us. Amen? In Galatians chapter 1, Paul is sharing with the early church what his journey is like. He told about his former life as a leader in Judaism, how he was on the path to leadership there, and how he was advancing. And many beyond his own age, he was, he was zealous about it. Another word for zealous is fanatical or fervent or enthusiastic. Paul was on board, right? I mean, he is, he is on board. He is dedicated to Judaism. He is fanatical about shutting down and destroying the early church. But of course, as we all know, that changed when he encountered Jesus. How many are so glad that, that we encountered Jesus? Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank You for Your Word this morning. Lord, I thank You for the opportunity to share it. Lord, I pray that as we delve into and look into some interesting subjects, Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would guide us in all things. Lord, I pray that it would be a, a Word that we hold in our hearts. That we don't just forget it, but we hold on to it and we live it out in our community. Lord, we thank You and praise You for the opportunity we have to dive deep into your word. We thank you for our own encounter with Jesus. We pray it in your holy and mighty name. Amen. When Paul encountered Jesus, he was faced with this undeniable truth that Jesus is God and that he simply would not turn away from him. Simply, just Jesus said, man, you're persecuting me. Paul encounters him. He sees it. It's his salvation story. It's his testimony. It's powerful. It's transformational. But it's just the beginning. Say, just the beginning. It is just the beginning of his Christian journey. So Paul shares about his Jesus encounter and then says this. I did not immediately consult with anyone. And this is not in the, in the uh, Scriptures yet. But it says, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. And we talked about this last week. He says, but he went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So we see that in the short term, some stuff happened. If we look in Acts, in Acts we are told that he started to preach Christ, that there were people out to kill him, and somehow, and really it was likely that he was smuggled in secret, he ends up safely living safely in the town of Tarsus. Tarsus was Paul's hometown. Okay, It was under Roman rule. And there, Paul would have some safety because of his Roman citizenship. And then we see the continuation of his Christian life. Paul tells us that when he got to Tarsus, he immediately became a superstar Christian. Immediately, he was just like on fire. He was getting calls to preach at different venues, different concerts. He was doing Winter Jam. I know it. Right, Jonathan? He was, he was a Christian superstar right away. I mean, that, that's probably not what he said, right? Uh, here's actually what he said in Galatians 1, 18 through 19. He says, Then 
after three years, he encountered Jesus. The next thing we see is three years. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Paul has this incredible, miraculous encounter with Jesus, and then for three years he isn't heard of. How many know that's, that's, that's interesting, right? For three years, he didn't do anything noteworthy. For three years, Paul lived in obscurity. For three years, he was an anonymous believer. If you wonder what the Lord spoke to him in the three days following his salvation, then you really got to wonder what the Lord spoke to him in three years. For three years. Three years are over. He goes to see Peter. The name is Cephas because, uh, the, well, Cephas is the word that means the rock. It harkens back to what Jesus referred to Peter as. And there, Paul spends 15 days with him and he meets, he meets James. It's the Lord's brother. He meets James, Jesus' brother. And then he makes this statement. I like this in verse 20. He says this, and he, with emphasis, he says, in what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. This is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. And for some reason, in Galatians, he has to emphasize, I am not lying before God. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it, saying, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. Now, you may be sitting here, maybe you're at home watching online, and you're thinking, okay, great. It's a good testimony, right? It's a good testimony of Paul, but what's the point? Why is Paul sharing all of this background with the Galatians? Paul emphasizes he's telling the truth, he is not lying. He does this because obviously there are people that are telling the Galatians that Paul is lying. Paul's writing this letter to the church, right? He says, listen, I swear to God, I am not lying. Because obviously there's people saying he's a liar. He's lying. Paul hears, as God is my witness, I am telling the truth. All right? How many ever had to like really emphasize you were telling the truth? Right? I'm somewhat of a prankster, jokester. I like to have some fun with things, right, Steve? And so there's sometimes... Steve, oh my goodness, Steve is so good at this. I don't know anything about the cost, prices, anything about digging a trench or laying pipe or anything like that. And so I say, well, what's the cost of something like that? And he, well, you know, probably $100,000. And I go, wow, okay, I don't know any better. And he just starts laughing on the other end of the phone. Right, and so sometimes I, I I do the same thing to him and some other people, right? And but there's other times where we're, you know, there's times where we joke around, and then there's times where you want people to know, hey, I'm being serious here. There's there's times where you want people to know, I I swear, I am telling you the truth, right? It's an interesting thing. Paul says, I'm not an apostle because I spent time with the other apostles learning. I'm not an apostle because I spent time under their teaching or tutelage. I am an apostle because I personally encountered Jesus and have been taught directly by him. That's what Paul is essentially saying here. He emphasizes this by pointing to the timeline. 
That's what's interesting. The timeline, he gets saved. Three years go by before he meets Peter and James. And then we get into chapter 2 and verse 1, and we see him mention this timeline again. So we get to Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. Now, so three years go by, he meets Peter and James. Then he says this. Then after 14 years, say 14. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. So when he gets saved, he spends three years in Tarsus before going back to see Peter and meets James. Now, Mikey, do me a favor. Go back to that first, first slide, and don't go ahead until I tell you to, okay? So he doesn't go back to Jerusalem again for 14 years. This time, he goes with a man named Barnabas. Barnabas is a Christian leader. He's a leader in the Christian community, and then also a man named Titus. Titus is a Gentile convert. He's Greek. He's a Gentile convert and who becomes a pastor later on. We, we, we know that, of course. And we see why Paul came here after 14 years. Verse 2 says this. I went up because of a revelation. Say revelation. Paul received a revelation from the Lord. He didn't receive word from what was happening. He, just, he received revelation from the Lord, and in seeing, hearing that revelation, seeing that revelation decides to go to Jerusalem. So he went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. He set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. He went to Jerusalem because of a revelation from God. He gets there and he has this private meeting with those who are influential in the early church. He meets with the church leaders and he sets before them all that he had been preaching to the Gentiles, all that he'd been preaching to the non-Jews. He did this to make sure he was not running in vain. Paul took all that he was preaching and in an act of humility, he lays it before the church leadership for examination. In an act of humility, I love Guzik's commentary here because at first glance, it may seem as if Paul is searching for their approval of what he's preaching. But he wasn't doing that. Please be aware that Paul was not searching for their approval of what he was preaching. He was bringing a revelation from God, and he wanted it to be received correctly. Paul knew he had the true gospel, amen? But he didn't know how everyone of reputation in Jerusalem was going to receive it. But if there was a confrontation to be done, Paul says, I did it in private. I did it privately to those who were of reputation, to those who were of influence. He did the best he could not to embarrass those who were of reputation in Jerusalem. He considered his brothers. It was an interesting thing. Uh, boy, I have had a pretty crazy week where I had to talk to another minister about some things that were happening in the ministry. And I, had, and I wanted to make sure it was done respectfully. I wanted to make sure it was done in love, but with truth. And I did so in private with him and, and, and some other ministers that were there. Why? Because we want to consider our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We want to show love for and respect for the ministry that God has given them. 
He did the best he could. I don't want to embarrass anyone, he says. Anybody that's in part of the early church, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to embarrass. It's this remarkable love and sensitivity on Paul's part. It would be very easy for Paul to just say, you know what, I'm right and anybody who disagrees with me is wrong. Isn't that right, Bob? I'm right, you're wrong, that's it. Pound sand. Mm. Right? That would be very, very easy to do that. I'm right, anybody who disagrees with me is wrong, and I can't wait to confront them publicly. There's people that have that, you know. How many know people like that, right? I'm right, you're wrong, guess what? But he didn't do that. He knew, I love this, he knew that being right didn't give you the privilege of being rude. He knew that being right didn't give you the privilege of being rude. What I preached on a few weeks ago, and what should be a common theme as Christians, is considering each other. What should be a common theme is just loving each other. Confronting each other. At times, we have to confront each other about sin or, or, or misstep or things like that, but we do so in love. We do so being considerate of each other. Paul here is being considerate of the other church leaders. Now, it leads us into the issues that Paul had towards Jerusalem. There are some issues that are important and significant, especially as it relates to the grace and freedom that we have in Jesus. Now, I'm going to be the first one to say, this is where the issue becomes uh, somewhat interesting in our Christian walk, in our Christian life. Because we're going to get into Titus and what was happening with Titus. It says this in verse 3, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might bring us into slavery. Titus, of course, we said, is a Greek man. He's with Paul and was a believer in Jesus Christ. And to understand the dynamics here, you need to understand the beginnings of the early church. The early church was almost exclusively Jewish. If you were Jewish, you're subject to the law of Moses. The law was a collection of 613 rules. 613 rules in what we call the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. 613 rules is part of, is the law. Now, there's uh, we could talk about the Talmud and and how it gets into even more rules on top of those rules, but we don't need to get into Let's just focus on 613 rules, right? They covered dietary rules, health rules. They covered what was clean, what was unclean, when to clean, when to rest, how much to give, what to plant, how to plant, etc., etc., etc. They were and are exhaustive. In keeping all of these laws absolutely perfectly, say perfectly, one would be made righteous in the eyes of God. The point of the law was this. It was designed to show you that no one is righteous. The purpose of the law is to show you that nobody, it is not possible for everybody to keep every law all the time, every day, forever. It's simply not possible. Nobody could make it based on works. In order to be made righteous before God, a sacrifice is required. And so each year there were sacrifices. 
Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. Amen? That's what the Bible says. He became the final sacrifice needed. His blood would cover our sins. Amen? We just sang about the blood of Jesus. We just sang about how it covers our sins, right? His blood would cover our sins. So, in Jesus fulfilling the law, most of it was made void. Now, what does that mean? That means we have freedom today. We aren't held by the dietary laws or the restrictions anymore. We aren't subject to 613 rules in order to be made righteous, right? We are made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? That is Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus Christ of the Bible, not a false Jesus. Amen? A part of the law, this is where it gets a little interesting, a part of the law and the covenant between God and Jewish men was a cutting away of the flesh, or what was called circumcision. Now, I hope everybody understands what circumcision is. If anyone has a question as to what it means, come see me after the service, and I will direct you to Gary Hansen. Here's the thing. This, as the Bible, I mean, it's an awkward situation, right? It's an awkward topic, any way you slice it. Uh, what? Come on. Oh, I had another joke about that, but I'm going to have to cut it short. Uh, (laughs) there's some stone faced believers right now. Just like, that's not funny. It's funny. Come on. We got to laugh about this stuff. Amen. Listen, it's interesting here. The fact is this was, this is done as a sign of the covenant. To be circumcised meant that you were a Jew, right? And to be uncircumcised meant that you were a Gentile. And we can have fun with it. We can talk about it. We can't have to laugh about it, right? But Titus was a Gentile. Paul makes the point of telling us that Titus was not forced to be circumcised. Why would he tell us that? That he wasn't forced to be circumcised. Why? Because there are men who are claiming that in order to be a follower of Christ, you were still subject to the law and specifically in regards to circumcision. Somebody say, ouch. Come on. As an adult, they say, Titus, you want to accept Jesus? You got to follow the law. By the way, here's what you got to do. Paul doesn't just call them, this is interesting, Paul doesn't just call them brothers. He calls them false brothers. He says this, he says, they were not truly Christ followers, and here's why. Because in their eyes, the blood of Jesus was simply not enough. The blood of Jesus was simply not enough. And I I want you to think about that this morning. The blood of Jesus was simply not enough. It's not by works. It's not by obedience of a list of do's and don'ts. It's certainly not by circumcision. Our salvation and righteousness is only achieved by the blood of our risen and returning Savior, right? How many know his name is above all names? How many know he's the King of kings? He's the Lord of lords. He is the first. He is the last. Every knee will bow before him. He is the beginning and the end. He didn't just speak words. He is the word. Amen. Somebody, can you, can you preach back to me this morning? Amen. Right? If his blood is not enough, then we simply have no hope. 
If his blood is not enough, if, if, listen, how many know my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Paul says that they, oh man, this is crazy, that they secretly brought in false gospel. They secretly bring us back into the slavery of the law. One minister said this, they didn't wear badges that said false brother. Right? They didn't walk in among the early believers and be like, hey, false brother. Right? They came in secretly. It was subtle, but it was clear. They believed the blood of Jesus was not enough. Sadly, today, this still happens. You'd think we'd be over it by now, right? You'd think we'd finally get it by now, right? I know more than a few ministers and ministries, besides, of course, the obvious cults, and we've talked about that before, that require works in addition to Jesus. They will use manipulation tactics. They will use extreme pressure. I know more than a few who use extreme financial manipulation to pressure people. And if the people don't respond to that pressure in the way they want, they make them question their very salvation. There are some people who claim to be ministers who preach that if you are truly a Christian, you will also follow the law or the Torah. You will follow all 613 of those rules if you are truly a Christian. What do you do with that type of conviction? What do you do with that type of belief? What do you do with one who claims Christ but then says more is needed for salvation? Besides the blood of Jesus. Uh, you do what Paul did in Galatians 2 verse 5. He says this. 2 verse 5 says, uh, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Uh, don't yield to them. Don't pay them any mind. Don't give into the manipulation. Not even for a moment. And in doing so, you preserve the truth of the gospel. One of the issues in studying Galatians, man, because you can talk about so much that we can dig into, that we can really get bogged down with the various implications of the verses. So questions come up, and let me say, good questions come up about the nature of salvation, the difference between salvation and sanctification, and, and, and really the temptation for me is to try and spend the whole time breaking down every theological implication simply because I enjoy doing it. Right, Bobby? I, li I, like, I like to dig this stuff apart. I like to have conversations with people about this stuff, right? But in honesty, if we were going to do that, we might be in Galatians for the rest of the year. How many want to be in Galatians the rest of the year? Amen? No? No? No one? No? Bobby does? Bobby? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I do want to be thorough. And I'm going to be thorough, but I want to encourage you to study for yourself. Take what I, you, what I give you and, and use it as a springboard into your own study of God's grace and goodness and freedom. Plus, these issues, i got to tell you, they come up more than a few times in Galatians. And we will have more chances to touch on all those different issues as we move forward, okay? Everybody okay with that? We don't want to do an exhaustive, like, three-hour study this morning, right? Okay. Paul deals 
with these laws in keeping false brothers in this way. He warns the early church leadership about them. And he listen, honestly, he says, uh, this is who they are. This is what they're teaching. This is who they are. This is what they're teaching. And then he simply tells them to pound sand. Say, so what is that? He kicks them to the curb. He says, they're of no use to you. They're of no use to me. I'm not going to deal with their nonsense. In essence, we should be doing the same thing. When false teachers come in, when false brothers or sisters come in, when teaching comes in that's opposite of the Word of God, I don't want anything to do with it. Get it away from me. Then Paul addresses another group. This is uh, interesting. Paul addresses the group that's influential. How many ever met somebody who's influential? Right? I mean, really important. How many ever met a very important person? And when we were in school, uh, our, my kindergarten teacher, every day one of the kids was a VIP. That meant very important person. I came to realize that none of those kids are important. I'm just kidding. Come on. Some kid picking his nose and going in the corner, and, and now he's a state senator. I'm just kidding. I don't know what's going on with those people. But how many, like, we're all told now, especially now, you get to school, you're so important, right? Oh, you went potty, get a star. You're so important, Bob. Let me tell you, everything is about you. And teachers and, and faculty, and uh, let's just, you are so good. You are so important. What is that? You is important? What is that? It's from the help. Anyway. Paul says this. He meets these influential people. Verse 6, and he says this. I love this. He goes, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. I love Paul's response here. I don't think he's being a jerk. I don't think he's being disrespectful. I think he's just saying a matter like stating a fact, right? How many know there are some people who just think they're above everyone? I should probably preach down here if I'm going to talk about this. Right? How many know there's some people who are just, just, just they got their nose up in the air, right? They think they're high and mighty. They're above everyone. They're influential. They're important people. I love what Paul says. What they, make, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential, who seemed important, they didn't add anything to me. I mean, these are really important Christians. Hey, if you know anything, you're going to listen to them. If you know anything, you, you know that I'm someone. I once heard a pastor say that. I'm somebody. You better hear me. Somebody was falling asleep in his, in his church. He was preaching. Somebody was falling asleep. And he said, you, wake up. Is anybody falling asleep here right now? He said, you wake up. You listen to me. I'm someone special. Let me tell you, if you got to tell people how special you are, you probably aren't that special. Right? I mean, it's an interesting thing. These really influential, important Christians, they got something to say, right? Paul says, I don't care who they are. I simply don't care who they are. And by the way, neither does God. 
It's not that God doesn't care about people. Absolutely, he cares about people. He cares about those people and the influential people. But God shows no partiality. It doesn't matter if you're digging ditches or you're in the White House. Right? We are all same before the throne room of God. We are all same before the cross of Christ. We all need the blood of Jesus. Amen? Paul is sharing this timeline with the Galatians. And remember, this is the first time that a lot of people are meeting him. This is the first time that a lot of people are meeting this guy to determine, can we trust him? This is a man who used to assault the Christian church. Can we trust him? And then we see this. Verse 7, it says this, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, or the Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel with the circumcised, or the Jews. So Jewish, circumcised, uncircumcised, Gentile. Verse 8 says, For he who worked with Peter, that's Jesus, worked with Peter, for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked, has also worked through me for mine to the Gentiles. So Paul acknowledges that, listen, God is working through Peter, and God is working through me. And when James and Cephas, verse 9, and John, who seems so it's James, Peter, and John, okay? Cephas, name for Peter. James, Cephas, John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised, or they to the Jews. What we see happen here is really a beautiful moment in church history. It's really this kind of really beautiful thing. James, Peter, and John recognized that Paul had received the grace of Jesus. They recognized his calling. They recognized his authority as an apostle, and they shook on it. The right hand of fellowship. It's an interesting thing when you talk about the right hand of fellowship. You know, a lot of days, John, would you stand up? John, come on over here. Give John a hand. If John and I are talking about uh, uh, working out a deal or working at being in partnership together, let's say it that way, being in partnership together, I mean, you know, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll, we'll, all right, it's a deal. We'll shake their hand, right? Now, there's what's called a handshake contract. You know what I mean by that? That means nothing is written down on paper and eventually the guy will not give you the money that you deserve. Amen? That's kind of how it goes if you're in partnership. But here's what it was in, in, in the New Testament in early church believers. When you shook their hand, it wasn't just agreement. It was covenant. It was, we are partners in the Lord. What you believe, I believe. What you love, I love. We're, you're going to minister to this group of people, and I'm going to minister to this group of people, and we're going to minister the name of Jesus. Amen? And they did so not just with agreement, but with covenant. Go ahead and have a seat, John. Thank you. Give him a hand. Yeah. It's an interesting, man, it's such a beautiful picture. The right hand of fellowship, this, this recognition that Paul is truly their brother in the Lord. So in doing this, they make this agreement with Barnabas, Paul, Gentiles. The rest minister to the Jews. They are sharing the responsibility of spreading the gospel, but they leave Paul with one piece of advice, and it's this in verse 10. He says this, only, this is the only thing they asked. They asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. you got to love Paul's heart here. 
the very thing that I was eager to do. Now, Paul isn't telling uh, Peter and James and John aren't telling Peter just to keep in mind there's poor people out there, right? He's not talking about generally poor people. I'm not saying it wouldn't be a, a, a good thing to remember, hey, there's poor people out there, right? But it's simply not the instruction here. The instruction here is this. There's many poor people throughout Jerusalem, and they are believers. They are saints. Poor Jewish believers. Poor early Christians. So they're basically telling Paul, hey, please remember the poor. If you can, gather support for those who are struggling in the church. How many know sometimes people struggle, and as a church, we want to come alongside them. We want to help support them if they go through tragedy or, or whatever the circumstance might be. We want to help them. So it's this really beautiful moment that honestly brings a conclusion to the message this morning. Because if you read ahead, and you can read ahead, it's fine, but if you read ahead, you'll see that this beautiful moment is about to be replaced by conflict between Peter and Paul. I mean, conflict. And we will get into that, not next week, but in our next message.